Hi, everyone. Matt Conlon here from Fluent Inc., uh, host of co-host of the Fluent Talks podcast here with Andrew Franz and our very special guest and uh, original co-creator, Andrea Bocchio. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, welcome, Andrea. Andrew and Matt back at it again. We're hoping third time is the charm, and this will be our best one yet, but really excited to have Andrea on the show. It's someone that Matt and I both know really, really well, so I'm excited to kind of vibe it out, yes. learn more about her, and talk about company culture, talk about some of her experiences, talk about hiring, talk about recruiting, um, some of that interesting stuff that I think we, we want to bat around. Love it. All right, Andrea, um, you know, it's your first time joining us here. I know you were out of town last week. So before we kind of get into a, a couple questions, like where were you last week? I know you were you were traveling a bit, right? Yeah, so I so you were in Vegas first. Yeah, what were you doing in Vegas? We were at MAU. Amazing. It was my first time there. Mobile Apps Unlocked Conference, which is the Super Bowl for our team. It was yeah. amazing. It was amazing to see everybody in action. It's crazy. I lost my voice for two days because we we're talking to so many people. <laughs> so I had to take a little bit of a break because then I went to LA for Pride. Oh, that's right. How was how was Pride Week in LA? Amazing. Incredible. Let's continue to celebrate all month. <laughs> what, what, and forever. What was the highlight of the week? Of the full week? Of the full week. Oh. Was it team building at Club Omnia and Caesars? 100% team building, <laughs> hanging out, <laughs> for sure. We had a really great dinner the day after, too, with some of our partners, which was very good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed that, right? You missed that dinner. When I had to do double dinner on the same table, Amazing. even for a foodie like me, that was tough. I had to call for reinforcements. I was like, I can't eat anymore. <laughs> um, random, but you know uh, where we went last night, which I got to put back on the hit list for better restaurants in New York City. Go not going to say best restaurants, but just better than average is that place Dante's. Oh, so good. West Village. We went there last night on so Perry good. Street in Hudson, I think it is. Fantastic. And they have a mixing martinis. Yes, yes. they're martinis. martinis they give you. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was a nice touch. That was a nice touch. Yeah. The I line like outside that. was all the the local West Village tastemakers. Okay. Nice. That was definitely the vibe going Lots on. Lots of great yeah. outfits. Yes. Who'd you so, go with? Uh, I was with my, my YPO group. Got it. So we cruised over from the IAC's offices. One of our guys is an IAC guy. So anyways. That's great. So, all right. Let's get into it. Uh, Andrew, where should we begin? I think let's kick it off learning a little bit more about Andrea. I know she has a cool background. So kicking it off, uh, kind of where are you from? Where have you lived? And which was your favorite and why? Of course, I'm from Peru. This accent's not from New York. But now I think I've spent more time in New York than I ever did in Peru. I'm about to be 20 years in New York. Where in Peru? Uh, I'm from Lima, and I moved here my senior year of high school. They transferred my parents to Jersey. So a nice, you know, Peru to Paramus situation. Yes. <laughs> Lima to Paramus. Lima to Paramus. Pretty, pretty standard. Pretty standard. What, what was the reason for the move? Uh, both my parents are bankers, and they got transferred uh, to the U.S. So I did one year of high school in Jersey, and then I went to school in Baltimore, also very random. Mm. Uh, I went to art school, which was... Very fun. I did not love Baltimore. The Wire is pretty accurate, if you all remember that show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was great for artists, though, because you get amazing space for very cheap. Oh, so you yeah. could, like, have really cool studios, like, do really cool events. Um, Lima, Paramus, Baltimore. Baltimore. Love that. Did a little stint in London for study abroad, came back, and I've been in New York since. So which was your favorite of all of them? None. I'm trying to figure out my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that brings us to a good question. I think if you could drop all responsibilities and move anywhere in the world, where would you go? Right now, Madrid. 
which I am doing. I mean, <laughs> for a month at least. Now, now it's not a secret. I was keeping it a secret, but uh, yeah. I mean, I have it pretty easy. I don't have a lot of responsibilities besides work <laughs> and the doggy. So, are you bringing your dog with I'm you? Ringing, yeah. So Rylan and I are bringing butters. He's going in his European vacation. Does Butters know Spanish? Of course. He grew up in a Spanish household. You know, Rylan <laughs> has to speak to Butters in Spanish. Wow. Does Rylan <laughs> know Spanish? Yes. Way more than he lets, like, to believe. But I've left him alone and found him with friends whenever we're traveling. So Can, I, I really am curious. What's one thing about growing up in Lima that would surprise our listeners? Uh, yeah. So I think most people think of Peru. They only think of Machu Picchu and the mountains. First of all, Lima's on the coast, so water, beach, big beach culture, like everybody leaves the city in the summer and goes to the beach and hangs out there. Uh, it's a lot like LA. I was going to say, it sounds like LA. So there's a, there's a downtown yes. Lima? There's a downtown that's on the water, it's awesome, uh, and then weather's the same, people are on the beach, doesn't get too cold, it's, it's pretty nice. Okay, and then what was the biggest difference between Lima and Paramus, New Jersey? Wow, so many. Like, what, like, like, <laughs> so you know what I tell you? Something I really shocked me moving here is how green even the suburbs are. Like it's so much nature. I remember actually even first time my boyfriend drove me to his family, his family which is a little bit further in Pennsylvania. We're driving to the roads, and I was like, "Are you tr are you gonna murder me?" Because like there's nobody here. Like there's just so much space, so quiet, so different than like a giant big city. Yeah. That I was like. You're, you're trying to murder me. This is this is how it happens. It looks like uh, you escaped. I So far. He may <laughs> still be the murderer. We'll never know. I mean, you will know. I'll never know. Yeah, yeah we'll let you guys know. Uh. <laughs> we'll see how this ends up. Cool. Well, I think what, what growing up in Lima, too, I guess, what were some of your like most vivid childhood memories that like still stick with you? And why do you think those stuck with you? Oh, wow. Uh, good question. I spent a lot of time with my grandmas. I think because I was telling you, like, my parents worked a lot and were very successful, I uh, I spent a lot of time with the grandma, so I did a lot of crafts because I love to knit and embroider. So I was, like, eight, like eight going on 80. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys? I forget what were your childhood, most vivid childhood memories. A lot of them. A lot but of them. I got to relive ones? some of mine this past weekend. I went to Michigan for my godson's nice. high school graduation. Felt very old, and it was wow. a bit of a reality check. But I was I was back in Ann Arbor again for the first time in a long time, and it was like beautiful summer weekend, fresh air, outdoor activities. Love that. I grew up across the street from a school and right down the street from a huge park with a trail. And so I got to take my own kids to a trail that I grew up exploring and adventuring. That's amazing. And there was times I remember just like, you know, immersing myself in the jungle of Ann Arbor. And I got to do that again with my kids. So it was kind of wild, like 20, 30 years later, reliving my, my childhood stomping grounds. Because my parents still live in the exact same house I grew up on. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's amazing. I think one, one for me that just, I don't know, came to mind while you were telling that story of like being in the woods and hanging out. Um, when I, would, I went to Jamaica once a year growing up. I still go. Uh, my family has a house out there. And... My brothers and I would wake up at like the crack of dawn and we had a rule that we weren't allowed to wake up or get out of bed until 6 a.m. So like, you know, we, I was probably five and my brother was seven. Um, so we would be looking at the time and then it would hit six o'clock. 
we'd go out and play our Game Boy yellow version Pokemons like in the beautiful tropics of Jamaica for hours and hours. And like, I, it, for some reason, it's like one of my first memories, just like hanging out with my brother, being in a gorgeous, you know, tropical On paradise. <laughs> yeah, Most, Immer immersing yourself in screen time though. Immersing myself in early screen time, oh. but I got really good, you know, at Pokemon, but weird, weird first memory. I don't know why that came to me, but. Uh, that was that was that was an interesting one. Um, kicking <laughs> it back to something a bit, let's let's reel it back to productivity, less than screen time. I guess Andrea um, and also Matt, we talked about this, but what what books have you been reading, and and what are some of your favorites of all time? So I was listening to your first podcast. We guys are talking about this, and I'm having the same problem going back to read it. And I feel like, especially Matt and I have worked together very closely for a while, and we would read all the time the same books, and we can discuss it. And I really think. With the pandemic, my brain just does not have the bandwidth for that. Like, I when I'm having downtime, I want to just hear and listen to dumb things. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> I want you to go a little deeper there. Why? Yes. What? With a pandemic, retrained your, rewired your brain. I and I was actually looking at Netflix, and you know how like they have their genres, and one of them is like escapist reality, and I'm like, that's exactly what I want right now. Like, I show me something that is very surface that I don't have to think about because just I think it's because so much was happening that like my brain at that moment and like I mean, maybe it's trying to come out of it just didn't have space to like get into like deep when topics. did you find time to read before so you think it's more just like lack of brain power and not I like you don't so. have the time carved I out it, yes I, I, you would read when commuting but even then like I'm more of an audio person so I would always listen to audiobooks so you can do it whenever and I'm actually probably walking and being outside more than I used to but I I'm, I haven't yet found something that's going to bring me back to that reading I, I have a hot take Yeah, I think it's our phones especially because uh, the pandemic we spent so much time on our screens that I think it's it's starting to rewire the human brain to only be on a phone and not and, like and paper. because there's so much other content on there between your Google News updates yeah. your Apple News updates like there, TikTok, TikTok, Instagram yes. there are so many things so by the time it's like oh let me stop doing these other things and read a book your brain's like nah I'm good yeah do we do we count audiobooks as reading absolutely Yes and no. <laughs> I think that you and I am. Um, I will listen to audiobooks way more than I read, but I think there's something very different about reading. Like you could absorb the content, but like the act of reading is there's something that's you're missing. more locked in when you're, you're like more locked in, more sensory. Yes, like you're all into it versus like I'm listening to an audiobook and like I'm probably I'm probably getting like eighty percent of it. Because all the times so I'm, you know, making sure like I'm not getting like run over or <laughs> running away from the murderer, you know, you never know. <laughs> so you talked about some of the shows you were watching. What 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 have you been oh binging my God, currently? So many uh, good shows right now. Right now, Hacks. Have you guys watched that show? No. What is it on? It's amazing. It's on Showtime. It's about a comedian. She used to like be like a headliner in Vegas. For forever and very established and then she hires this young girl to write for her and they are amazing um big fan of all things drag race so i watched a lot of that during the pandemic is that a that's a genre that you can find RuPaul, out there RuPaul about okay. drag race. so lots of like look, good reality there um can i tell you what i'm i'm finally into i know we talked last time i was on a weird uh like depressing state yes yeah. now now i've got a um a I've, I've stuck with like, um, you know, 
fictionalized nonfiction. So the show I'm watching right now is called The Offer, and it is the story of the making of The Godfather. And so it is, uh, it's incredible because to make that movie, they actually had to um, cozy up to the Brooklyn mob, specifically the Colombo family, and they were not going to make this movie. And so this, this, it's this interesting story about working with the Hollywood producers to get this thing pushed through because Paramount at the time was struggling. No one wanted to make The Godfather. They come to New York and there was, you know, they, the, you know, the, the mafia, it was anti-mafia sentiment was high and. So it's, it's a wild story. Really cool to watch. Uh, what is and it, it on? It's on Paramount+. Plus. That sounds yet, amazing. Yet another streaming uh, channel you have what, to check what's out. What's the right amount of episodes in like a show for you guys? This is 10. This is 10 episodes. I think it's a perfect limited amount. Limited series. Yeah, limited series runs. I love a limimited series yeah. too. But yeah, it's 10. This Not one might run like an episode or two long. Okay, that's, that's, that's what my, happens. That's my sense. It like all, the Pam and Tommy was so good, but they should have done four episodes. Yeah. They didn't need it. Yeah. There's all these like true crime limited series that I've seen that are like three parts. And I'm like, you could have just said that in one. Like they keep dragging along like something that like doesn't yeah. end up being relevant. And I'm yes. like, come on guys, let's, let's stop. Yeah. Let's stop. But. All right. So bring it back to, um, I want to talk to you a bit about your professional career and how yes. you've gotten to where you are today, Andrea. Perfect. You've been wildly successful, came up uh, out, of, out of Lima, Paramus, Baltimore Art School, yes. London for a stint, and then now New York City. Talk to us about your first job. Totally, yeah. So I and what did you, and what were the key learnings from that? Okay, good. So I have lived very many different lives before digital marketing. I started in fashion fully. So I went to like I said, I went to art school, graduated. All I wanted to do is go into fashion. I didn't even really know what that meant. I just knew that's what I wanted. Also, it was two thousand eight. So you have to take whatever job you could find. So by I, the way, speaking of, what are you wearing today? Oh, you know the, this look that I call uh, our teacher from Park Slope. <laughs> <laughs> Looking fresh. <laughs> it's um, slight jungle vibes, though. It, it's kind of jungle kind of like vibes. that. Um, so anyway, funny enough, my first job was designing patterns for a dress company. Uh, I was there for four years. It wasn't great, but it did teach me. <laughs> it did teach me to st like really do a lot of cross department collaboration. Because even if I was just doing the print, and I would like have to coordinate with production, work with design, like make sure I'm working with everybody. And I feel like it's something that like it's a skill that I built there that I've used for everything that I've done afterwards. So while I was there, I started my own accessories line. I started doing jewelry, uh, and then there was one day where I used to sell it on the weekends at like events and markets. And there was one week where I made more money that weekend there than I was my salary was going to be for that week at work. And I was like, "This is fine. I'm leaving. We're going to figure out how we're going to do this. Who knows? Had no business doing that. I really didn't know much about business, but you know, you have to try. <laughs> what, what were your key learnings? And I guess kind of ripping the bandaid off and going for it by yourself. There's something about not having a plan B that just makes you have to figure it out and go all in and plan A, and that's what I did. Like, I worked so hard, did so much, uh, got really lucky. I hooked up with a um, a showroom that represented me in Japan. So that's really where the bulk of my business went. I was doing a lot of wholesale to Japanese stores, which I will forever have regrets that like I never went there when this happened because they would send me magazines with my stuff, and it was like, 
amazing. Um, do you still have those magazine I, clippings? Of course I do. Can you bring so those in? So good. Uh, yeah, so good. Um, also, like, I really wonder how they would say my name there. I can't imagine it. Even in, like, in, in nowhere, nobody knows how to say my name. So I can't imagine what, how that went. What was, like, the high point, I guess, of that business? And then, I guess, kind of yeah, had yeah, it yeah, unravel. Totally. So I think that was definitely the high point. Like, and I, there was a moment where I got a call from Barney's. To be like, do we want to like groom you and like come in? And I really was that moment where they're like, you are like a season away from being ready. And we can fast track you to work with this woman. It's going to help you push this and get you there. And there's something that held me back. Like I said, no, because I just knew that I wasn't ready. Like I knew something, like I said, like I was just doing it and running. And it was like, I was just making things and selling them. Like I didn't have a plan. I didn't understand the really the economics behind this. I was just like surviving to just do it. And yes, of course, I look successful outside. I had magazines. I was doing over there. But I was like, I'm not ready to just like go all into this. So kind of like took a step back then, kind of just took a job to just like make money. I remember just like, I got an office job. And then I started a second business, which again, had no business owner. I got up, I um, found a partner. She was also Peruvian, amazing. She had a knitwear line living in New York. So we started bringing Peruvian brands to the States. And then we got smarter because then we partnered with the Trade Commission of Peru here. I don't know if you know, Trade Commissions of other countries, their job is to make business in the country that they're in with the home country. So we presented these projects where we were like, hey, we'll open up these stores. We'll bring all the designers. You guys just give us the capital so we can run it. And then we got to sell our own lines as well. Cool. So that was really, really cool. I did it for two years. Uh, and then I met Matt and I came to Fluent. <laughs> I was, listen, retail is amazing and I make great, I have nothing but respect for people that do this. It's so much of a hustle for like the upside is just not that big. I think when you're working with physical goods, there are limitations no matter what versus digital, it feels almost infinite. And there, and there's slim margins too. Very yeah. slim margins. Heavy, heavy, hard costs. Exactly. So and you get into the world of digital where you can create something. And out you're of like, thin wow, air. I can put all this energy and it actually tenfold, twentyfold. So, so tell me this. So your your experience as an entrepreneur and living that that hustler mentality in retail, how did that prepare you for uh, the corporate world and like, digital advertising oh, at large? Absolutely. I think like I didn't even know it was digital advertising as much. And I think even when I met, like I just knew I wanted to learn business at that next level, right? And I was just like I'm going to come in, teach me whatever, and I'm going to run this as if it was mine. Because I think that's part of what I like. Having done your own and having, when you're in roles in business like this, where you're like wearing every hat and doing everything for yourself, you come into the corporate world and you're like, yeah, whatever, throw it at me. Like, just give me the puzzles, I'll solve it. I'm used to solving puzzles, and that's what makes it really fun. I think that's what allowed me to be very successful here. It's just connecting, doing the pieces, just... Being open. I want to go back to something Andrea was talking about and actually throw it out over to you, Matt. Yeah. What made you know you were ready or feel like you were ready when you were, you know, in your, I guess, first or ultimately successful venture here at, at Fluent? Um, I think Andrea said it best. You, you have to almost not know there's no safety net and go all in. Um, I think that I had, so I was in a fortunate position when, when we started, when I started my career. First of all, I got into a digital advertising and technology industry uh, in 2005. Talked about this before, but it's very early on in digital advertising in general. Facebook and Google were only a couple of years in. Um, but 
I think more important than that is I got to see small companies go from uh, very little to a lot in a short period of time. And I was just a student of the game. And I was just very observant and learned everything I possibly could. And when I was ready to start my first business with, uh, with Ryan Schulke in 2007, we got, um, someone came and uh, prompted us to help them launch their own business that was VC backed. And so we got to spend three years in the trenches building a business with someone else's dime. And it set us, set us up perfectly to work through a lot of the kinks that we had in our own business plan and some of the aspirations we had for Fluent. And so we got a chance to kind of learn on the job. And so when it came time to finally make the leap, we knew we were ready. We had just worked through a lot of the challenges that come with uh, building out a plan, like an actual business model, hiring the team, developing the relationships with your trading partners. And, and those were things that I would not have felt comfortable if I had to go straight into that. But I had a cha- I had some training wheels on for a couple of years first. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something that like for listeners, I've tried to start some stuff on the side, you know, bootstrap. It's very hard. I think there's like two big things that you have to overcome. One is funding, bootstrapping something and actually making it successful is extremely hard, extremely hard. And, um, and two is having the right experience, making sure that you are the right person to be actually starting that and doing it. And I think people, you know, you take the leap or you think that, you know, I can do this, I'll figure it out. But like making sure that you have funding or, you know, financial stability plan and then also, you know, making sure that you have enough relevant experience that you, in fact, can yep. do it, I think, are two boxes that you want to check. And, like, you know, you can't understate the importance of, of those things and how hard it is, even with those things, to make something part successful. Of our, part of our rationale for bootstrapping Fluent the way we did was for that exact reason. It was I had learned that the, uh, the challenges of taking on capital, while it does ease some of your concerns and make sure you have liquidity to invest into products and teams and technology, um, there's also this overhang, right, that comes from someone who's giving you capital. There's a lot of expectations uh, and there's a lot of accountability that perhaps is going to could be a distraction early on. Now, that's not always the case. A good VC or good PE uh, sponsor can also be really supportive, open doors for you, and help you accelerate the growth of your business. However, it does come at a cost, literally and figuratively. And so I, I think after seeing the experience we had working with a London-based VC, London headquartered company launching a New York office and seeing the level of scrutiny that that VC applied to the whole business, we were like, you know, if we start our own, like, we should just bootstrap as, as, as much as we can. So let me ask you a question because it was under both ways. You, it's around the people piece, right? Like you've started your businesses with a partner always, and I've done both. In, how do you feel that's impacted the success of the businesses you're starting, having somebody else there to work with? Um, I, you know, I've, ne- I've only started small businesses solo. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've only, I've, I've had a lot more success and a lot more scale when I've, I've had a business partner. And I think it's because uh, I have certain strengths, but I certainly have my fair share of weaknesses. And I think if you can find the right partner that you can balance out those weaknesses with their strengths, it becomes that yin and yang that you need to really uh, make a business scale. How did you and Ryan kind of fit that yin and yang? What were you good at and what were you conscious of I'm not so good at and I need somebody that's better than me? So uh, we took one of those personality tests years ago when we were getting acquired by uh, a firm. Uh, This is like 2015. And it was wild. I I, I just pulled back the data, but 
this was a scientific uh, experiment, and both of us were off the charts for our own respective areas. <laughs> like it was, it was pretty wild to see that the the dichotomy of of our relationship. Like I am a consummate connector, right? So I'm like literally off the charts with connecting with people and building relationships and very external, like thinking about like, I got a pretty high EQ and then making sure that teams in a good spot or partners in a good spot. And so like really shine there was Ryan was, you know, dove super deep into the numbers, like heavy emphasis on product and, and distribution. And, and I, and, and that really worked together well. And, um, I'm going to, as a follow-up, I'm going to find that, that old report that. Because it was wild looking at uh, our our results, um, yeah. so it probably should do it as a company exercise soon. Yeah, take really take cool. these personality charts. And I think even outside of you know the hard skills, I think the fact that you have a cheerleader with you, like you yes. know you have somebody that's going to just say, "Hey, man, like we crushed this." I'm also happy, as happy yes. as you yeah. is is huge. And uh, the opposite too, right? When things are not going well, then at least we're like, okay, at least I have you to figure this out with me. Like yeah. my co-founder for El Mercado, like Michelle, she was amazing, and it was like the same way. Like we were like, all right, you do this, I do this. Come back. We're stronger together than we are. Were you guys roommates though? <laughs> because because much. Ryan and I were roommates, and so absolutely not. Um, so when we would go to work every day, we'd come back and we'd be toiling away in our apartment. Like, all right, what'd you learn? Yeah. What can we apply to make this thing better and keep proving and optimizing? That you, is full on. Full yeah. on. Do, we're do you caution? I know it worked out for you, but would you caution people into going to into business with like a roommate or a best friend? Yeah. There's, there's all types of risks, right? And I think you, you have to walk into it with eyes wide open. Otherwise you can run the risk of, uh, of uh, impairing those relationships. Right. And they always tell you like, don't go into business with your family or your close friends because something goes wrong. You owe so many money. It can, it can really damage those heads relationships. So I would say if you can find the right partner where it is a good, you know, mutual respect and a good balance of skill sets, then do it, but, uh, take caution. Yeah. So kind of pivoting a bit, but I want to go back to something we were talking about before you were talking about, you can either go the bootstrap route or the VC route. I think there's a, I think there's a third route that's kind of interesting that people don't talk about as much, which is like the entrepreneurship route where you're actually able to use the company that you're at, which is obviously what I'm doing now to use them as backing and for, you know, yep. help on strategy and support, but also kind of get to sit on an Island by yourself and kind of actually build and, and scratch your entrepreneurial itch. So I think that's one that we should talk about more in other, you know, pods, but I think that's a really interesting Avenue that Intra people sleep on. Intrapreneurship. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I love that. But I think it's a nice segue into kind of the other things we wanted to talk about, which is creating a culture that allows for that, right? And I think that's what's like really exciting about Fluent just in general. You don't have to go as big as just like, hey, I'm just going to start my own business to begin with. But I think we, what I really enjoyed having come in, I had not had a boss in a very long time by the time I came here. But it just, I think we are very good at like allowing the opportunity for people to raise their hand, try new things, like feel like they're making an impact. So, and if you could distill it down, so go go a little deeper there. What what makes for a good culture, yeah. and how do you how do you curate it? How do you how do you facilitate it and make it make it as as good as it can be? Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's just like what's all good for me personally. Like I said, opportunity and openness, just giving the space for people to like. You want to feel like you're making an impact, like you're coming to work and it matters. And I think for me, that's number one. We, we're going to have to work for 40 years for your life. You know, you don't want to have a, be somewhere where you're coming in every day and you're dreading it. And it's not just about the people. Obviously, there's all the fun stuff. 
we have an amazing office and yes, I think brands are very important and all for them. But I think really it's just like, okay, I'm coming in. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm somewhere that is allowing me to do more and always see like what comes next. I, I want to throw something at you, Matt. You yeah. kind of have curated this culture, which I think is a top notch one at Fluent. So what did you guys do right in that? And then I want Andrea to follow up with that as like a Fluent culture carrier that wasn't the founder, but really you know, spreads that culture and, and, you know, disseminates it out. So how do you kind of latch on to what they've created and make it even better? So I think culture is an interesting um, term and kind of there's a lot of, a lot of thoughts around this topic, but um, I've, I've been, I've worked at companies uh, that have had toxic cultures and, and so there's a lot to be learned from working in environments that um, are not healthy and not productive and you feel defeated and deflated and you go home at the end of the day. And I think, you know, having some of that experience early in my career helped inform the culture that I wanted to create, one that encouraged collaboration, one that was open, transparent, and allowed people to do their best work. Um, you know, I think culture starts with like a shared set of attributes and beliefs. And, you know, I think if you can stick to some basic tenants that everyone that you hire agrees to, that you create that natural connection point between all the team members. And so I think there's early, it's a lot more difficult now, I think, to create a, a culture remotely. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think we benefited from launching Fluent at a time where you went into the office, most people were together, sitting side by side, working towards a collective mission, creating friendships and connections that uh, helped us do better work more effectively. Um, you know, you fast forward to today, um, you have to be very deliberate, very purposeful in creating culture remotely. Um, nobody wants to spend more time on Zoom calls than they need to anymore. So like having Zoom events is tricky. So I think there is this need to bring people together in real life to, to connect and, and build. But I, I think, you know, one of the big ones was always having kind of a, a no asshole policy, right? And also a commitment to, we are all committing to getting better every single day. We are all gonna commit to learning something new and pushing each other to get better. And if the collective is committed towards self-improvement and making sure that we are far stronger as individuals and team members and professionals a month from now than we are today, that the company will evolve and will start attracting more like-minded people. Yeah, and celebrate the wins together when your back's against the wall, link arms and figure it out. But you also need to celebrate those those uh, those failures. Absolutely. Right? Because there's so much goodness that comes out of learning where you screwed up um, and then applying that to your next big win. You have to be able to, it's, it's part of creating that safe space. You gotta be able to fail Fail fast, yep. fail a million times, but just learn something from it and move on. Yep. But uh, Andre, I guess back to the question that I, I had before, I guess how have you kind of latched onto the culture that's been created at Fluent and like been able to be kind of a, a big culture carrier at Fluent because you do a great job of it. Thank you. Um, I think for sure it's it's a lot of what Matt's saying, you know, it's, and sometimes without like being too conscious, like subconsciously pushing people to do their best, whether it's by connecting them with the other team members, by like giving them more information, but just like opening doors so then they feel they can get to that next level. I think that's really, like, really important for all of us that are not just the founders to carry through with our teams. Yeah. 
So I think we're almost at time. I'm going to hit you with our favorite last question. How do you unwind after a day of work and take care of your mental health? For sure. Well, we're just talking about I am in a full on beasting out mode right now. So working out twice a day. So definitely full workout, but full of So you're doing nice. two a days right now. I'm in a two a day mode. Like, like, right like it's football season. Like it's football season. Wow. Good for you. Yeah, what do you mean? Are you doing like morning and evening? Yes. So I'm trying to do like a, like a hit or like a, I do my harder workout in the morning and either like a Pilates or a yoga at the end of the day. So it's just like different vibe. Wow. And then it's intense. of course a nice glass of wine. Are you preparing after. for something? I kind of want to get in the ring by the end of the year. So <gasps> I know. I'm not making promises. Wait, wait. Is, is, is this the first time you're sharing this publicly? Pu officially, publicly, yes. Wait, are we talking boxing, boxing kickboxing? Boxing, boxing, full boxing. And where, are you going to try out for gym. Golden Gloves? Golden Gloves, maybe. Uh, yeah. I oh know. my God, this is special. I yeah. know, I know. So, but I, it was pandemic. I haven't done it in so long. So I have to get back into that state and then we'll see where it goes. Working out in wine. That's the key to a good life, right? You know, um, you got to connect with Jeff Kaufman. Who had that? You know, he's he's our head of uh, privacy. And uh, is that how we're gonna like um, resolve legal disputes now? It's on the ring. I saw him go toe to toe in the ring, and it was really impressive. And we we raised a bunch of money for a good cause. So join that cause. Yes. I, would, I would love to see I, you. That's like, that's not through that organization, but that's a similar thing that okay. I'm looking at. All right, cool. Yeah. So and that's then, how you unwind the other day. That's how I the other day. Yoga, Pilates, and then drinks, and obviously. then drinks. Balance. Life is about balance. <laughs> uh, Mr. Franz, uh, before we close, any uh, any big plans for this weekend? So this weekend, I am going to my dad's lake house in Lake Norman yes. for his 60th birthday. So uh, that'll be a fun. My whole family will be there. They're throwing a whole party. So that'll be great. What about you guys? Boating, barbecue. Boating, barbecue, beers. Yes. <laughs> the three Bs. <laughs> the but, three Bs. Yeah, uh, no, it'll be a blast. And um, then I'm actually going straight to L.A. for VidCon next week. So great. going Charlotte, Lake, L.A., then finally back here, then out to Fire Island for the fourth. So All right, great. staying That's on the move. Great. All right. Uh, well, with that, let's wrap it. Um, thank you all. Exciting, uh, fluent talks. Um, week three, we out. We out. Subscribe to the latest episode of Fluent Talks at FluentTalks.co. That's FluentTalks.co.